You're listening to the True to Life Podcast, a show where we discuss life and analyze ideas as followers of Jesus in a post-Christian context. The True to Life Podcast is hosted by Aaron and Carson, two ordinary guys learning how to live with purpose in a changing world. Together, we'll discover how to be present with God and others in a way that is true to life. Welcome to the True to Life podcast. Carson, how are you today? I'm glad to be back. How are you? I'm glad to have you back and be back with you. We're approaching the end of the year. Our Christmas tree is up. We actually have an extra Christmas tree on the front porch this year, which is making Candace extremely happy and making me happier than I'm willing to admit to her. And we're feeling very festive. Awesome. It's been a while since I've talked to you. What's it been, like four weeks? at this point yeah something along those lines during that time i've i've managed to almost have an aneurysm untangling the uh the lights from the tree that's now on the front porch have not fallen off a single ladder uh it's it's actually been pretty smooth sailing candace and i were talking to a a couple who is a, a prospectively more serious couple than they are now about the fact that uh, we have regularly scheduled marital conflicts around christmas and decorating our tree and we've actually doesn't we've actually managed to um not keep that regularly scheduled marital altercation this year it's been pretty fantastic from that standpoint and fingers crossed that it it carries through the new year which i'm I'm really thinking it will awesome yeah good for you guys and good for you for learning that candace rules the roost and you just need to get along i've been a joy and I have nothing to say to that, (laughs) except our our roost is an even and egalitarian sort of roost. I mean, a complimentary sort of roost. Okay. All right. Okay. It's fine. It's really whatever she says. Yep. I'll let her choose. Yep. Cool. Uh, Well, are you excited for Christmas other than like the decorations and, and festivities? I am excited for Christmas. It's, one of my favorite holidays. And also one of my favorite holidays. The older I get, the more prone I get to actually having joy in my heart for all the decorating. And um, again, I think Candace is, has gotten to me. And so it's our our hearts have been filled with merry joy. And we've we've done some fun, fun low-key things with friends and had lots of dancing around to Christmas music and festive lights. And our new neighbors beside us have gone really all out with their decorations and we haven't necessarily tried to keep up with them so much as enjoy all of the merriment they've brought to the cul-de-sac this year. Oh, fun. It's been fun. Do, do the lights keep you up at like three in the morning? They would be. They do not. Our bedroom is in the back of the house and oh, if you okay. look out, you can, you can only see the woods and uh, through the back of the house, which is, which is nice. Lovely. Yeah. How are your Christmas preparations coming? <laughs> um, pretty much at this point entirely dependent on Amazon and the postal service. If that tells you what you need to know. <laughs> um, well, I hope the Pony Express gets all of your gadgets <laughs> for you on time this year. So some of the, the kids stuff has arrived. Um, my wife spent some time uh, wrapping and allowing the kids to wrap uh, their presents to one another. Um, we did that this year. We normally don't, uh, but they're getting old enough now. We've, we've started to, uh, encourage them to pick out presents for one another. Um, of course we still foot the bill for that, but, um, but yeah, it's a, a neat thing for them to be able to, to give stuff to one another. Um, and, um, yeah, so they spent some time, uh, wrapping, uh, we've got a tree up, uh, but no real decorations outside this year. Um, and you know, I, I'm not, one for a whole bunch of decorations. Um, I'm not super sentimental uh, about a lot of that kind of stuff. I would rather just something uh, low key and I don't know. Um, the tree is enough for me, but I do enjoy driving by um, looking at, you know, other people's lights. And so, I mean, some people go all out with the lights where there's no uh, square foot of their yard that isn't somehow illuminated uh, by something. 
And uh, that's definitely not me, but I don't mind, you know, putting up a string of lights um, on the house. It's just where we're uh, in the rental this year. We haven't done it. So, um, but yeah, I uh, feel like we're, we're on our way to having ourselves a Merry Christmas. Our, uh, my, I guess Leanne's uh, mom and brother are going to come over Christmas day uh, for uh, a festivities and gift exchanging and eating and all the good stuff that goes along with that. Um, and then I guess Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to spend with my family. Um, traditionally growing up, we, we used to do our Christmas Eve gift exchange and, uh, I guess Christmas morning was more reserved for, uh, Santa and those kind of things. So we're going to be with them, uh, Christmas Eve and then with, uh, my wife's family Christmas morning, um, and into the afternoon. And so, yeah, um, more than that, I think we probably just tried to, to stay as, uh, distanced and safe as possible, um, while getting ready. So that, uh, necessarily includes, uh, limited runs to Walmart and, uh, some of those other places. Um, we, uh, I don't know if you heard this or not, but the, the place where we are is like one of the hot three tops. I'm going to try to say the top three hotspots in the world, um, in terms of coronavirus right now. So, um, uh, you know, where Sevierville is, they were like number three on the New York times list, uh, for places where it's going to get pretty bad. And that's like right behind us. Um, and then Morristown, uh, where my job is, was also on the list and we're like right in the middle of those two. Um, so globally, uh, America is bad in terms of, you know, the upward trend of new cases and increasing deaths, um, within America, Tennessee is bad. And then, uh, within Tennessee, ours, uh, ranks toward the top in terms of, uh, hot spots for transmission and things. So, um, we've done a lot of staying indoors and, uh, by God's grace, everyone has remained well. And, uh, my kids are about to go nuts. Uh, they're not in school anymore. They actually got, uh, two days off, uh, a week or two ago, uh, because of the new COVID cases. And, um, since then, they've just been counting the days and complaining that the days are going really, really slowly until Christmas gets here. So, mm -hmm. well, on the whole, how positively heartwarming! And to the uh, <laughs> to the COVID-induced uh, difficulties headed your way, I I'm sure you will forbear those with grace and and good tidings. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. we've had uh, a good time spending a lot of increased time together. It seems like, um, just our family, um, the I've gotten to, um, spend a little more one-on-one -on -one time with my kids, which has been really nice. Um, and something that I appreciate about the holidays anyway. And, uh, yeah, so we're just trying to, trying to encourage them to, uh, remember why we celebrate and kind of keep that front of mind. Um, but, other than that, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And looking well, forward to seeing you on New Year's, actually. Yes, I shall be in Tennessee for uh, the better part of a week, I believe, and festing my mother's house, working from home. Did you say something about a mask? I said bring a mask. Wait, you say so. Um, I will be working from home and seeing you for an entire week, on and off, I'm sure. Maybe we'll even do a podcast together yeah. from Grand Ole Tennessee. And uh, speaking of that, uh, today's podcast, we are just going to look back on 2020. I was thinking it was funny because the reason that we started this in the first place is because uh, we got locked in our houses, got a little bit bored. I missed talking to you and was all like, let's just do a, a fun podcast as an, uh, an adventure. Well, I don't, and I don't know that that's why we started. Uh, so the beginning of coronavirus was definitely, I think, when we started, but not not really why, at least not from my side. Well, it was, it was adjacent to that. I was being tongue in cheek. Oh, okay. Um, but reflecting on the fact that we started around when coronavirus happened and uh, we've, we've carried through pretty more consistently than I thought we do. So uh, props to us for at least the consistency. Yeah, so there. as far as consistency and, goes, I think this past 
episode was the first one we've missed. Yep. Yep. Due to unforeseen uh, circumstances on both our, our parts. But other than that, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, doing this every two weeks with you throughout COVID lockdown in 2020. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what 2021 brings. But in the meantime, we figured that for this episode, we would look back on 2020, maybe give it a grade. I think currently I'm going with a solid D minus, yeah. uh, but maybe give the year a grade, talk about a few things that relate to 2020, the impact it's had on us and society, the church, uh, humans, human nature, uh, heretofore unexplored dark parts of the collective human psyche of the U.S. and the world, and what other, uh, whatever other tidbits come our way. Sounds so, jolly and bright. <laughs> it will be. Uh, so on the, the human nature front, did, uh, did 2020 teach you anything fun about human nature that previously had not been on the forefront of your radar? Um, yeah, so the way you phrased it, I would say... Yeah, it probably taught me something about human nature that wasn't on the forefront of my radar or the forefront of my mind, but um, not something necessarily that I didn't knew. It just kind of brought it into sharper relief. Um, I've seen, at least from my experience and, and where I've been, um, seen just how um, just how selfish <laughs> a lot of people can be, um, particularly with uh, with COVID. Um, I don't know. It, it bugs me when, uh, when people, um, you know, everybody I think has been in a situation where they've forgotten their mask at home or something. I know I certainly have. Um, but I'll make every effort, um, to, you know, wear a mask, keep an extra in the truck, you know, whatever, if I have to go out. Um, but there are some people who just, you know, for whatever reason, um, refuse to wear a mask. And it's not just like they, they're indifferent to it. They actively refuse to. And it just, uh, I, I've said this before on the podcast, it just seems like the simplest thing in the world to do, um, to prevent everyone else from getting sick. And, um, I don't know, it just, there's something about the way it presses on our sense of, um, self-sufficiency and, uh, radical independence, um, and, uh, kind of a, a, I don't know, a rejection of any kind of, uh, collective responsibility or, you know, collective, uh, community, um, that we're a part of in society. I don't know. Um, it just, it seems to me that when, um, I sent, I sent this to uh, some people the other day, there was a, a New York times article that had uh, a graph of the, the new cases and stuff. I was like, Oh, Hey, remember this time that we flattened the curve and it's just like a, a steady trend upward. Um, and it just seems like there is some of this that obviously has gotten way too political. There's some stuff that has, uh, just been a matter of, um, you know, lack of preparation, which, you know, is nobody, no one person's fault or anything like that. Um, but there is some of it, um, unfortunately to me, it seems that, um, is just a result of people's unwillingness to take the necessary precautions and, um, think of others before themselves. And so, um, yeah, I think that, uh, has probably been, highlighted to me in terms of just overall human nature. Um, I'd also say it has highlighted for me what, uh, what communal creatures humans are and how, um, people will do just about anything to be together, um, and not be alone, even if it means harming themselves or others. Um, and I think that there's something maybe to learn there about us and about how we relate to one another, uh, about what the church is and how the church needs to be responding, um, in terms of, uh, the state of things, uh, in doing everything they can to, to facilitate community, um, even when we can't facilitate it physically. So, um, yeah, just, a. uh, 
don't know. Just that's off the top of my head. Just a few things. What about you? Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the uh, the different responses people have as to imputing motive as to why people either care a lot about people wearing a mask or um, what motives people impute to those who don't want to wear a mask. And without casting judgment either way, I think it's interesting that the people who don't want to wear a mask, you use the word collective, and it made me think about collectivist and a lot of people who don't want to wear a mask, I think it's a response to what they perceive as a collectivist, a collectivist tendency to cram down on their freedoms without showing them a requisite uh, scientific reason for using a mask, especially when there's been well-documented cases of authority figures saying, don't wear a mask, then wear a mask. And then once a more established science comes out or once a more established consensus comes out, you can still always look back to the forever machine of the internet and find enough confusion and dissonance there to support whatever view that you want to take. And the expediency of supporting your own narrative can always be backed up by some clip on YouTube that supports what you prefer to do. And my reason for saying that is it's brought into sharp relief for me, the human propensity towards suspicion of the motives of the other side. So the people that don't want to wear a mask are just very suspicious that they're being um, told and taught how to obey and to be brought into line and to be controlled. And that the more you give in this, in this example, uh, big science or the government, the more they're going to take and you have to hold the line at some point. And the people who do find a lot of efficacy in wearing a mask see that as just as you do, as you just explain, a way to love and care for people. And I think it's just such a sharp divide, depending on what you see as the motives of the other side there. And I think that suspicion has just come so much to the forefront, certainly of the American public, and that trust in the motives of what we perceive to be the other side of an argument is at an all-time low right now. And I think it's done terrible things to our collective society. The fact that there's just no trust between people who see themselves as being on the other side right now of a political argument. Um, yeah, it seems like it's yeah. extremely uh, binary and it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. necessarily political in like the, um, the sense of like political theory or of, you know, conservative versus liberal. It's just somehow or another, I think the politics in our country has kind of uh, trained us to be completely binary thinkers that it has to be either this or this, and there's no mm -hmm. middle ground. And if you're not with me, you're against me um, on whatever view it is that we're talking about, um, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I think that a really good way to distill that down is, as you said, a commentary on the vanishing middle ground in our society. I think it's something that we had at least a fair amount of going into 2016, and it started going away. And then by the time 2020 came along, uh, the middle ground had pretty much become uh, non-existent in many, many ways. And Social media echo chambers have been honed to a very fine point and the algorithmic feedback loop that we find ourselves in anytime we're online has done nothing but reinforce that and brought us even into uh, greater alignment and uh, greater opposition than ever before. I think that's tragic for civil discourse in our society. Agreed. But, well, that's fun. So that's what we learned about human nature in, in 2020. Good times. Merry <laughs> Christmas. So what was, what was the most encouraging or the most wonderful thing that you noticed about human nature in 2020? Um, I'm, I'm tempted to say kind of the, the thing that I brought up about um, humanity's craving for community. Um, mm -hmm. It just seems like that I mean, obviously from a theological standpoint, you and I would say that humans are designed by their creator, uh, to be inherently communal beings. Um, and I think 
for me to see that we have not lost that. Um, and that that is indeed still something that is, uh, present in us as the, uh, the, the remnants of, um, how God created man in his image. Um, that there is something within us that craves, uh, presence of, uh, of the other, um, that's encouraging and, uh, I think pretty wonderful, um, that despite when, when things could have been something where we forever, uh, related to everyone else differently. And I think, uh, to your point, we have increasingly, uh, related to people with an air of suspicion and distrust and, uh, you know, enmity, um, that there's still something within us that craves, uh, relationship and, uh, community and fellowship. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, figuring out what's the best, um, most responsible and, um, the, the correct way, I guess, to embody that, uh, in this time. And that's not an easy question. This, I think something that people are still trying to figure out. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, probably, um, just the idea that, um, that people still want community with, uh, with other individuals. But I think also, um, that harkens to a, a more, I don't know, theological reality that, uh, that sometimes people, uh, crave relationship to, not just with other people, uh, but with, uh, their creator. So, um, so yeah, I think that's probably it for me. What about you? I am going to go with the same answer. I think that looking at the base impulse toward community that people have has been a really interesting thing. And obviously we've all been part of way more Zoom meetings than we ever thought possible in 2020. Uh, But I think that the various incarnations of electronic communication and uh, seeing each other on screens and feeling the pang of loss of physical community has really reinforced itself as a a hole that we have in ourselves that we don't realize is there until we're not able to uh, take advantage of how we were created to see each other face to face in physical community with one another. And I, I think that has been most notable in people who thought that they wouldn't miss that, you know, and not only just introverted people who still long for community in the same way, but people who say that my uh, perfect existence would just be to be able to work from home, order things on Uber Eats and never have to see anybody that would just be yep. perfect. And I've talked to several people who got to, who got to live that dream for about a month and a half. And then they just started describing the classical uh, symptoms of uh, social, uh, I don't know what the, the technical name for it would be, uh, but just social isolation and loss and, um, maybe the opposite of uh, agoraphobia. Maybe yeah. it's that you just don't want to be locked in your house away from other people. You really feel a deep need and longing to see people that aren't just on a screen. And I've had uh, several just sit down dinners with people um, during the middle of COVID where it just felt like something that had been taken from them. And it was a breath of fresh air just to sit across the table from a live human being and just have those interactions. And I had some of the most uh, touching and deep and honest conversations with people that I didn't really even know very well. It just brought out all the pent up longing that they'd had for genuine human communication where you can sit across the table and look at another live human being there. And so saying that's the most wonderful thing I've noticed about human nature doesn't mean that it hasn't also been tinged with a little bit of tragedy in 2020, but I think it does speak to the fact that God created us in a wonderful communal way. And the fact that we have heretofore been able to have that in a pretty much unlimited extent with each other in a free country where we can exchange our ideas, love each other, and be in uh, free association and community is just a wonderful blessing that I think that now we take far less for granted. And then as things start to normalize, um, hopefully we'll realize that blessing and we'll make the most out of it uh, while at the same time 
I suppose, uh, have found out a few creative ways to socialize, uh, socialize electronically now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, definitely it would, it, it makes all of us maybe uh, appreciate the community we had previously more um, to value it more. And then also, I think probably when we uh, can get back together in a, in a normal uh, physical social sense, um, we'll probably make uh, some people, hopefully, uh, a little more intentional about um, the quality of the togetherness that they that they share. Um, that it's not just uh, getting together to uh, to get together to hang out to you know go. Um, you know, out on the town for an evening, although there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's probably something that we, uh, most of us all would miss, but, um, but that there's, there's something behind the, the human connection that, um, that we need to rekindle and uh, constantly uh, be stoking um, that there is a relatedness beyond just the physical presence um, that we all crave. And so I think as people start to, uh, value those connections more that hopefully we'll see a little more of, uh, you know, intentionality among friends and and family, uh, in that regard to, to make the time that they share with each other, uh, when they can, uh, count more. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think I feel that even now, as we're starting to get back together a little bit more with, you know, like church groups or, or family or friends, um, I have more than the average, even uh, millennial propensity towards pulling my phone out and uh, checking the Twitter gram while we're in group settings. And I felt uh, little pangs of uh, consternation at myself and uh, remorse at the fact that I would do that because I'll pull my phone out and I'll look at uh, the news or whatever. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? You have plenty of time while you're locked in your home to to do this. Like while you're with people, enjoy the fact that you have people to be with right now. And um, yeah, just immerse yourself in that. And it seems like the old people were right all along. But, so what... Um, I remember talking to you years ago and we were talking about the fact that if you wrote a book uh, at that point in time, you were talking about writing a book about uh, heroes and heroic actions at some point in your life. And it made me think about uh, what was uh, from your perspective, maybe through that lens, what was some of the most heroic actions that you saw in 2020? Like what was some heroism that stood out? Um, So, uh, uh, it's interesting you bring that that concept back up because I've actually been thinking about that more uh, recently. Um, but so I don't I don't mean to sound I don't know flippant or or trite or like a like I'm on a you know one track uh, broken record whatever. Um, I, usually- I, do, I usually do, um, but. I really think the, the, one of the heroic things that, um, that I've seen is when people kind of reject that, uh, propensity for, uh, for selfishness and, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not just talking about like mask wearing or, or what have you, but, um, in, in the, the year where, uh, you know, kind of the, the idea uh, you know, the sentimental, uh, the, the sentiment, I guess that, that we want to, to have is that, you know, we're all in this together or whatever. Um, there have been, you know, some people that have really taken that to heart. Um, and you know, it's not all bad. Um, you know, 2020 may, may have shown us some, you know, some less than favorable things about human nature and reminded us of those, but there have also been some, some bright spots. Um, and I think there's been several times where, uh, people have, uh, sacrificed in various ways, um, to put others ahead of themselves. And, um, that to me is probably, uh, one of the, the most heroic, uh, things I can think of. Um, I'm thinking in particular of, uh, those in the, uh, the medical, uh, care industry. Um, 
you know, nurses, doctors um, who are really on the the front lines, healthcare workers um, who are um, kind of at ground zero for dealing with COVID and um, who, in a very real sense, are in an increased um, level of uh, of danger uh, as a result of that. And yet they're um, they're they're not doing it, you know. Uh, just flippantly and, and willy nilly, but they're um, they're taking measured risks and taking all the appropriate precautions that they can. Uh, but they're still putting themselves in a more risky situation for the sake of everyone else's, um, for everyone else's sake, I guess I should say. Um, and um, so I think that is um, largely heroic. Um, I'm trying to think of, of any one particular act that I've seen. Um, and you know, there's been, you know, the, the Facebook and TikTok videos of, you know, Hey, we just, uh, gave this UPS worker and this Amazon delivery guy, um, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever, um, as a surprise, as a thanks for being on the front lines and making sure that our, our country can continue to, uh, to function and, and all that. And, and those are all good things. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think probably broadly, I would say those kind of frontline workers, um, but I think there, there's probably also quite a few um, unsung heroes that um, that probably don't get the same uh, attention. Um, thinking of things like um, people who have adopted uh, parentless children. Um, people who have uh, given of themselves so that others who don't have, um, who have lost their jobs, um, who have been uh, really struggling, uh, would have, uh, you know, sufficient, uh, you know, their needs met. Um, and that kind of stuff doesn't usually get a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of airplay, but um, pretty heroic. Mm. What about you? What have you seen? I think two main things have stood out to me. The first is uh, people who were willing to provide consistency for others during the pandemic. And what I mean by that is when you express an intention and you say, we're going to create a space, and in this case, a virtual space for people to get together. So I'm going to be here uh, every Thursday morning at 745 and give you guys a space to pray together and talk about people who are important to you in our lives. That's that's happened to me. Like there was a guy that had that idea uh, that I work with and he's consistently showing up every Thursday at 745 on a Zoom meeting, whether or not any of the rest of us did. And he was always going to be there and he was going to be ready to talk to us and pray for us. Um, and to me, I thought that was a really great thing of him to do um, and to say he was going to do something and do it and whether or not anyone else showed up to consistently provide that space. Um, there have been a few people that I work with that have done that. Uh, my, my workplace in particular has just placed a premium on um, keeping community available um, for the employees and the employees' families. And the people that have worked really hard to do that in our company, I think, have, have been uh, pretty uh, praiseworthy in in the way that they've really followed through on their commitments there. And it's been a very nice thing um, for them. Um, another huge thing, um, actually, I've just seen the time. Let's take a quick break and come back, I guess, for part two of this. And so I'll just leave you on that little cliffhanger there. And we are back. Sorry for that cliffhanger ending. I was having an unforeseen technical difficulty, but it has since been fixed. And um, I was also having an unseen technical difficulty where I had my mic muted and couldn't respond. So, uh, yeah, anyway. We're very professional here. 
my second main way <laughs> my second main way that i've seen um heroic things going on during the uh, pandemic is the unprecedented amount of generosity that i've seen take place from people um almost 100% of that being um undocumented generosity where the people never asked to have their name on what they were giving and i've seen that um in my workplace in my church and in my personal life um just a lot of money given for charitable purposes by people who just either give that to the church or just give it anonymously to other persons um, and who are just willing to trust God and be gracious and generous or people who have um, quite a bit of money and realize obviously that there's a great need out there right now and who are very generous um, in giving. So I've been close to several of those situations throughout the pandemic and have been really blown away by the the kindness and generosity that I've seen and how m- the vast majority of that goes um, un- unheralded by people, um, that the most generous people are usually, it seems, the ones who want the least credit for their generosity. And that has been a really good example to me and has uh, really elevated my uh, faith in humanity. Um, it, it really is true that the people who are the most quiet about their contributions are the ones that do the most good. So I think that this has been uh, obviously a, a big tragedy for us to all go through together, but has also highlighted um, the, the goodness um, that does exist in the world, especially when it comes to generosity and the care that people will show to each other. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, what's something you're going to miss about 2020? So when 2020 is gone, is there anything you're going to miss about it? Oh, um, I'm going to miss all the 2020 memes. <laughs> yeah, that for sure. Um, although I saw one the other day that said, uh, um, what if, uh, 2020 turns 21 on new year's and then goes and gets, uh, completely hammered drunk. Um, like what's the, the next year going to be like, um, it <laughs> makes me, makes me worry a little bit. Um, no, I think anytime, uh, you can inject a little levity, uh, into a, a situation like that. You kind of laugh to keep from crying. Uh, it's a good thing. Um, for some people, um, like myself, 2020 hasn't really been all that bad. It's been isolated. Uh, but, uh, my wife and I are kind of homebodies anyway. Um, and we do enjoy going out. We do enjoy getting together with friends, but, uh, we also enjoy to, um, to be with one another and with our children. Um, and so that I think I will probably miss is the increased, uh, amount of time I've had, uh, around my family. Um, the, with the kids out of school in particular, um, having them nearby and, uh, being able to, even when we're, you know, they're upstairs and, you know, I'm downstairs and, you know, lands in her, uh, room with her office. Uh, she and I are still working from home, but, um, you know, being able to work from home and have my youngest son come down to the basement and just give me a hug, uh, during the middle of the day has been really nice. Um, and on those days when they don't go to school and they're at home, um, and I just get to see them a a little bit extra throughout the day, that's been really nice. Um, and so, um, I think I'll probably miss that the most. Um, yeah, I think probably the, uh, ironically, you know, when we're talking about, um, how we are all craving, uh, connection and craving, uh, communion, uh, I really do think it's been interesting to see that, um, that that's one of the things that I feel like in some respects I've gained with my family, um, for better or worse. So, yeah, it's really been funny because the problems that people have been experiencing, there's no, there's no middle road to them. It's either I'm locked inside with this crazy screaming family and I can't get away no matter what, 
or I'm isolated from absolutely everyone. Please, dear God, just order more pizza so I get to see the pizza delivery guy. <laughs> it's for very few people just a pleasant middle road. So I'm glad that you have, to some extent, gotten to experience that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's not had its challenges. I mean, certainly, anytime you've got two parents working from home and three kids uh, doing virtual schooling, it's going to be a challenge. Um, I told my wife, like the other day, my, my son had a distance learning day and, uh, I was upstairs, uh, on my break and, uh, was talking to my son and I, he just kind of said this offhanded comment as he was telling me about something unrelated. He's like, yeah, but you know, I've got to go because I've got a, a 10 o'clock tens meeting or, or a, a, a 10 o'clock teams meeting, excuse me. Um, and I'm like, who are you? Like you're 10 years old. What, what business do you have? Uh, young professional. Uh, you know, we're just training you to be a good little corporate slave. Like uh, you're, <laughs> we're destroying your childhood. Like, and, um, but you know, it's, it's keeping him up to date with his education. Um, it's preparing him for, uh, what the future workplace is going to eventually probably look like um, in, in some respects, um, even if not to the same degree as it does now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just kind of struck me like, and I think that's probably um, one of the things that I will miss as well is like, um, I'm getting to the age now where my children are growing up and they're not like, we're out of the baby phase now. Uh, my kids aren't grown, but, um, I've got a daughter who's going to high school next year. Like my oldest daughter is going to be in high school and I just like, I'm still processing that. Um, and I'm starting to think about my sons and like, what are they going to do? Um, you know, as they continue to grow. Um, and I think in, in that sense, maybe I, I've mourned, uh, the loss of, I don't know, their youth, um, and, um, in some respects, even like now that Leanne and I are, we think probably finished, uh, having children, um, that that chapter of our life is closing. Um, I'm going to miss it. Uh, so, and it's not to say that it's, it's completely over yet. I mean, all of our kids are still kids, but, uh, we're, we're coming of age now where we're starting to to think about that transition and, and move to like the next phase of, of parenting. It seems like. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've always enjoyed, enjoyed hearing uh, your, your parenting stories and trials and triumphs as you've gone through. And um, as a, as a friend, it's been fun to follow along with, with your family's evolution. And I'm, I'm sure that is, something to take joy in and something that you'll miss and something that you're really looking forward to in the next chapter of your life. So absolutely look forward to hearing that as it comes. Um, did, uh, do you feel like you gained any wisdom in 2020 that otherwise wouldn't have come your way? <sighs> um, I don't know. Uh, I hope so. I'm, I'm just trying to think of, of what that might be. I would say probably um, I've leaned a little more into appreciating the time that I have with my children now uh, because I've started to feel uh, some of that starting to slip away. I've kind of um, leaned into that a little more intentionally, a little more heavily. Um, and I would say making most of the time that I have today is probably generally wise. Um yeah. yeah. What about you? Uh, time also. It was really funny as we were going into COVID, I was reading a book on the the nature of time from a scientific standpoint. And then as we got into COVID, I realized that one of the central struggles of my life was my time management in a way that I previously hadn't had. And that's because I no longer had a commute and we no longer had as many social obligations outside. And so I was presented with huge blocks of time that I was now accountable for as to how I use them that you can, you know, easily find ways to while away, whether that's reading the news or playing games or reading mindless books or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. I suddenly had a lot of time um, to account for 
and felt very convicted about uh, about the way I was using that time. And sometimes I think I used it well. And that sometimes I would find that just a whole day had passed with me literally having done nothing helpful or good or useful. I just let that time pass and knowing what a valuable commodity time is, I think has, um, I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily claim that I've gained that wisdom, but I at least have fallen, um, under the realization that time is, so valuable in all of the the tropes and cliches like youth is wasted on the young and time and tide wait for no man and all those things. Um, I think I'm starting to get a glimpse and a glimmer of what it means to have time, to be able to use it however I wish. And then when that time runs out on my life to look back and to really either be glad for how I spent that time or to look back on times like these where I had so much of it and to either um, more in what I did with that time or to be glad and rejoice in how I use that time. So while that is still in the midst of me being able to choose that, I want to use that wisely. So I'm just going to go, I'm just going to take the virtue signaling route and say that, uh, which I'm trying real hard right now to, uh, to use that time wisely. Cool. Very good. Um, and just as an aside, uh, because I didn't know that you were reading a book about the science of time, are you what you would consider an A theorist or a B theorist with regard to time? I'm a strong, I'm a strong A theorist of time hmm. and am reasonably convinced of, of temporal becoming, which as a, a slight aside means that every moment of every day, things that exist pass out of existence completely and then come into existence at every given moment in time. And even explaining what time is, is an absolute quandary because there's no reason that time should move forward. I don't think that there's any scientific necessity that states that that time has to be a progression. I think we just take for granted that we are moving through time, but I think it's almost a continuous miracle that God gives that he continues to move us through time um, and that things go from one state to another. Now, Obviously, if temporal becoming is real and if the A theory of time is real, it makes it impossible that we could either travel back in time or travel forward through time. The B theory of time, as you know, is that um, an observer who's outside of that time could, you know, kind of almost look at a timeline and pick, I'm going to go to this time and then go there or this time in the future and go there and that temporal becoming is not a thing. And so that's been a really interesting thing to think through because it has a lot of implications for philosophy and religion and apologetics and what you think of the future and what you think of the nature of who God is. And uh, it's, it's been really interesting. What are your thoughts? Um, I would uh, tend to think that uh, a theory would be uh, would probably be uh, more accurate. Um, but I'm also not uh, going to be dogmatic about it just because of my limited knowledge. And I don't feel like there's really um, anyone uh, maybe other than God who is qualified to say with um, definitive certainty, um, which is which, or if there's not some third option or, or what have you. Um, I do think that God exists, um, you know, uh, outside of time, um, that his eternality is a sense of divine timelessness. Um, but, uh, more than anything, I was just curious, um, where you stood on that because it's something that has interested me in the past, but I've, uh, I've not really ever heard you talk about it. So, um, not to bore the people, but that was just, a a curiosity to me. Okay. I'm done. Yeah. Well, and the, I think the last thing that I would say for anyone who's curious is that uh, both you and I would strongly state that we're not open theists and that we think that God, um, no matter where we would come down on the question of time, we believe that God 100% knows the future mm -hmm. and is as in control of the future as he wants to be. And so if there's anything that he's trying to plan, anything that he's trying to accomplish, he's 100% in control of that and uh, knows what's coming. I think you and Either. I would both agree that God has declared the end from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. And whether you get there as a Molinist or a Calvinist yes, or 
any of <laughs> I know you do, uh, and I do too. Um, but whether you get there from God's middle knowledge or whether you get there from um, what we might sometimes uncharitably refer to as, um, uh, I'll, I'll just use direct causation um, from a more maybe Calvinistic perspective. Uh, the the end result is the same, that we believe that God is um, a big God who is in control of those things. And yeah, so uh, I would... I guess offline, be interested in hearing uh, more of your thoughts on that at some point, or if we just want to bore everyone stiff, we could do a conversation on time at some point. Yeah. Maybe in the new year. That'd be fun. Um, Well, speaking of God, uh, what have, what have you learned about the character and nature of God in 2020, maybe with an eye toward um, things that if everything just would have been a, a wonderful, fun, uh, regular sort of year that maybe might not have become apparent about the nature and character of God. Hmm. Um, I think that it's, it's become clearer that, or clearer maybe, um, that God doesn't, um, God doesn't abide by our expectations. Um, <laughs> or that he uh, either permits or, or causes things that sometimes uh, we don't understand, uh, we don't see the reason for, um, that his mind and his, um, his plan is unsearchable, um, that there is no one who who would do the things that God does? Um, like if, if I were God, my, my, my plan would be entirely different. And yet I think, you know, the scripture makes it clear that, um, all things are working together for our good. Um, and so there, there's a sense in which even in a year of great, uh, tragedy and turmoil, um, that somehow, somewhere, God is working in a way that he is bringing about the good of uh, ultimately uh, the the ones who, who love him, who are called according to his purpose, but also uh, he's bringing about the redemption of the world. And um, to think about that in the in the context of COVID and of 2020, um, I, I just think about the fact that this was not a surprise to him. Uh, it was never unknown by him. Um, it was never unplanned by him. And yet, um, it's all news to us and we are, uh, still kind of getting adjusted to it. Um, but this was always plan a and something about that to me, um, uh, I, I guess brings me a sense of, of comfort, uh, knowing that, um, God is completely and fully, uh, in control that I don't have to worry, uh, because of regardless of whatever circumstances arise, um, that God is still there. He's still working things together for my good. Ultimately, um, still bringing about the, the redemption of humanity. And, um, that in the meantime, uh, my life should be such that I am trying to embody his presence, uh, to others in a context in which they very much need it. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe this year um, I've, I've seen God's goodness in, in some of those stories that you, that you mentioned um, about people's generosity um, in churches who have uh, tried to go above and beyond to serve their communities. Um, but I think um, it, I don't know, in a weird way, this whole, uh, COVID thing has kind of struck me with a sense of, of awe of God, 
um, that like, this isn't what anybody expected. Like this isn't what anybody planned. Um, and you know, somehow that God has a plan in place and is in control in such a way that he doesn't need to ask our permission, um, to do what he wants to do, uh, in and through, uh, his people and in the world. And, uh, that it it puts me in a place of security to know that the God that I serve, um, is not only bringing certain events about, but also, uh, controlling them to affect his will and, um, to teach us, uh, what it means to be Christ-like, to um, give us opportunities to be generous, to uh, to work things together for our good, um, and to bring about the opportunity for the world to come to know Him not just as uh, provider, as um, generous, uh, but as a redeemer. So, I don't know. That's kind of a a long-winded roundabout answer to your question, but that's kind of where my mind's at. I think that was really good because one thing I took away from your answer is that God is, he's a very big God who's not at all surprised by what came along. And he's also not at all afraid to shock us out of our repose Mm -hmm. because we'd been, I would say by any standard, very comfortable as a nation speaking as an American um, and as a citizen of the world, but mostly as an American, that we live a very comfortable first world life yeah. and everything was going along. And the when the main thing you have to complain about is another political party, uh, then, then you're doing okay when you have no real struggles in the world. And then when everything is turned on its head and the whole world at the same time is forced together to confront their own mortality have a health crisis, um, divide up into tribes of warring political factions, go through a divisive election, and then still at this point um, not even really be sh- sure how we're going to shake out on the other side of 2020. It's a hard place to be in, and it's a place that leaves us with very little certainty if our certainty is not grounded in the grace and the goodness of God And I think the main effect that all of this social and political turmoil has had on me, who loves my nation, and I love being politically informed and involved, this has shocked me out of that a little bit and turned my attention more than I would have thought possible to the coming of kingdom of God. And not that my gaze wasn't there, but it's caused me um, to a great extent to care far less about the politics of this world and realize that they are not something that you should put your hope or your trust in, or even as much effort as I would like to put into them and to put your eyes on the thing that won't be shaken or moved, which is the kingdom of God. And to realize that we can put a lot of effort into that now. And that's, that's effort that won't return to us void. Uh, that's effort that as we try to love others and try to help others as they become citizens of that kingdom and look forward to that um, eternal kingdom, um, that that's not wasted time and effort. And it's just becoming readily more apparent that um, putting too much effort into the political systems of this world can unfortunately become uh, wasted time and effort and just lead to a lot of hysteria and, and sinfulness, speaking just for myself. Yep. I think speaking for a lot of others as well, probably um, politics makes a, uh, a really bad hobby, um, but a, a really good, um, well, I won't say good, but a, a very uh, convenient replacement um, for uh, involvement in the kingdom of God. Um, at bec- anytime we align ourselves with, uh, a sense of worldly power, um, we're tempted to think that, um, we have what we need and we lose sight of the fact that what we ultimately need is God and where ultimate power lies is with God. Um, even when his methods surprise and shock us in a way that, um, that 
we see him act in a way we don't expect. Um, you know, I, I think about, you know, since it's Christmas, uh, Jesus came in a way that completely shocked and surprised the people um, who were waiting to see him come as Messiah. Nobody expected him to be born the son of a carpenter, to be uh, born in a, a sheep stall, um, and instead of a crib, to have a a, a feeding trough uh, for a bed. Like nobody expected that. That's not what people were looking for, um, and yet God has this way of just completely upending our plans for the better. Um, and surprising us and shocking us out of our complacency and out of our stupor um, and getting our attention so that he can do what he, what he wants to do in us and through us. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I think when we, when we align ourselves with uh, political parties um, and that's not to say that, you know, national or international or local politics doesn't have its place. Uh, but what I am saying is that when we put our ultimate hope there, um, we, we tend to forget where, uh, as citizens of the kingdom, we truly draw our power from and where our ultimate hope is. Um, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have a profound responsibility to make good choices, to vote, to vote well, and that there are often very clearly defined lines of where we should be placing our votes and our political influence. Um, but I think that what was made clear in my mind is um, that I was probably placing uh, too much, at least at least wasting a lot of time that could have gone to God's kingdom um, and, and worrying and just getting angry about the politics of this world. And then when something like uh, COVID happens, when something like the political and social upheaval that we saw in 2020 happens, we saw political upheaval this year. Yes. (laughs) There was an election or something, right? So they say. (laughs) Uh, But we'll, uh, we'll come out the other side of it. Um, And I, I think that if, if in 2021 we do return to a comfortable lifestyle or, or just a comfortable life where we're not uh, in lockdown, where the political furor has subsided, um, that I hope we don't forget the lessons that we're learning right now and that we don't forget how quickly uh, normalcy can be taken away from us and that we use that time and, and that ability and those relationships to develop them in the most useful and the most productive way possible and not just take them for granted. Yeah. No trial is, um, is pleasant as you're going through it. Uh, but looking at from, from the perspective of where we are now, I will say that, um, it does kind of highlight for me how, uh, comfort leads to complacency and, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we are thinking about these things now in a way that we weren't a year ago. Um, mm. despite, you know, some of the, the, I mean, we're, we're up to, was it like 300,000 deaths now, um, in the U S uh, from COVID or, uh, at least, you know, in the, in the way the numbers are reported and COVID related, uh, deaths or whatever, um, many more than that worldwide, but, uh, you know, so there, there's not at all, um, to, to, you know, minimize the, the tragedy of this year. But, uh, but at the same time, I think for those of us who, um, are just trying to, to, to live and, and navigate the world around us, um, if we can take away something, uh, from this year and be in a better spot, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in terms of the way that we, um, the thoughtfulness that we approach our lives with, um, then that's a win. Um, it doesn't mean that it makes up for, uh, some of the, the other, uh, tragedy, uh, throughout the year, but it is something that I think we can celebrate. And, uh, I think if we do, 
uh, get back to what we would consider normal uh, in our society, uh, hopefully, you know, this year or, or, you know, sometime soon that um, my fear would be that we we tend to lose things uh, like this, uh, like these insights we've been talking about um, when they're not right in front of us and uh, staring us in the face. And, and sometimes uh, tragedy and hardship has a way of shaking us from that complacency. And so um, insofar as God has used that hardship um, to, to get us to a place by the end of the year where we're uh, considering our lives with a little more uh, uh, intentionality, I guess, um, then I think, you know, we can be thankful to that extent. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I think that's a, a good place to end it. Don't, don't waste your life. Somebody said that somebody, uh, I can't remember. They did. Uh, don't waste oh. your retirement. Don't go collect seashells. Who was that? <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. I remember there's a book or something called don't waste your life. Yeah. Uh, Lecrae. Lecrae wrote that book, right? He, he made a song and then he wrote the book. I'm, I'm Google machining it right now. All the John Piper fans are screaming at us right now. <laughs> As if they oh, listen wait, to our show. John Piper. <laughs> <laughs> better not have any John Piper fans listening right now. Just kidding. Yeah. I love you all. Hmm. All right, buddy. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for a, a wonderful uh a wonderful twenty twenty of, of spending some time conversing with me. I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, same here. Um and I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Uh Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Um and I suppose the the next time we will uh probably be on the podcast together and uh talking to the people out in uh, digital uh, listener land, wherever they are, uh, will probably be in the new year. And that will be lovely. All right, buddy. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Tennessee here in a few short days. A festive 2020 Christmas season and a happy new year to you and all of yours. And you and yours as well. Mm -hmm. Have a good night. You too. Bye.